As if the current real estate market wasn't hard enough with inventory at it close to an all-time low and interest rates close to an all-time high, NAR is under legal fire from multiple fronts, and these cases could potentially rewrite the rule book on how real estate commissions work. Buyer agency is under attack, and some of the fundamental ways that we do business could change here very soon. We're here today to talk about several court cases against coming up against NAR and how they could potentially affect your business. This is the How To Real Estate Podcast, and we are your hosts, Jeremy Smith, and myself, Kyle Lindsay. What is up? What a what a crazy topic. Right? Dude, as if things, like you said, as if things weren't already weird. You know, yeah. we've got the low low sales, and everybody's down on sales, and everybody's you know kind of worried about that. And mm-hmm. some of us are taking action to fix it. Some people are just kind of laying down and dying. Um <laughs> but dude, what a, what an interesting topic. And I think a lot of people don't really know much about it. That's how I was before we Mm -hmm. decided to do this and do some research on it. Like I really didn't know what was going on with it. There's just a lot to talk about. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. And I I think most of us are so busy scrambling, like you said, to catch up with interest rates the way they are. We all are hearing a lot of the same objections from buyers and sellers about interest rates. We're learning new skills and scripts. Doubling down on our workload just to achieve the same thing we achieved last year. And it's hard to keep up with all of this. And I think if you are not paying attention, then you are setting yourself up for failure because some of these things could fundamentally change how we earn commission. Absolutely. It'd be like if you kept your head in the sand about AI. Right. Right. You just kind of get left behind if you don't keep up. So let's get into a quick timeline of the events that have transpired, and then we'll kind of dig a little bit deep into this. This is going to be a two-parter, right? I don't think we're going to be able to cover everything in this one. So So everyone hit that subscribe button so that you will get notified when we release our next episode. Um, This one, we're going to talk about what all this stuff is, kind of the timeline events, and and how to really understand what's happening. In the next episode, we're going to get more tactical information about how to think about it and how you can prepare going forward. Absolutely. And also, we're going to hit a little bit about the history of commission. Yes. We're going to give you a little history lesson. So sharpen your pencils, guys. Open your ears. Hit subscribe. And let's go along for the ride. So here's the timeline. So the first major event happened in 2019. Sitzer and Burnett, who were homeowners, right? They were they were clients of a real estate brokerage that sold their home. And a guy named Mo- Moore, Moral, they all filed lawsuits. And those lawsuits targeted the National Association of Realtors and several real estate companies. Now, some of the companies that were named is Anywhere Real Estate. And Anywhere Real Estate, for you guys that aren't aware, um, it seems like they own Better Homes and Garden, Cardis, which is a relocation company, Century 21, Cowell Banker, ERA Real Estate, Sotheby's International, and something called the Corcoran Group. Right. right. So that's what we know about anywhere real estate some other uh, i believe that's uh barbara corden from uh shark tank that's her company is it really yeah okay oh mm-hmm. man well she's a shark so <laughs> she's probably getting after it um some other companies were home services of america which is i think berkshire hathaway's mm-hmm. parent company remax keller williams and then 20 other mls's were named as co-conspirators mm-hmm. so there's a lot of folks involved there's a lot of money at stake yes in these lawsuits so 2019 first uh Lawsuits were filed in May of 2020. Top Agent Network also filed suit against NAR over the clear cooperation policy. Then in April, two years later, April of 2022, the Sitzer-Burnett case 
became a class action lawsuit and they, they won that status in, um, yeah, in 2022. Mm-hmm. Then in March of 23, which is just a few months ago, the moral case receives a class action uh, certification as well. Right. So that's huge that two of these are big class action lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. They're class actions, man, which is, which is uh, interesting. What I forgot to mention was back in August <laughs> of 2021, we're going to time travel, a federal just district court dismisses top agents network, uh, top agent networks case against NAR. So that's a good thing, right? They, they dismissed that case. Mm-hmm. If you're a real estate agent, it's a good thing. August 2023, which was just about one month ago, August 3rd, Home Services of America lost an appeal, making it possible for an October trial in the Sitzer-Burnett case. And then on August 15th of this year, the DOJ pushes an appeals court to reopen an investigation into NER's commission and pocket listing policy. August 29th was just last week. The Ninth Circuit Court revives top agent networks lawsuit against NAR. So not so good news. <laughs> we're back. We're back on we're back on the roller coaster. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got in the choppa. So, <laughs> September 5th, um, 2023, which is just like two days ago. Anywhere real estate, which was owned all those companies we mentioned earlier, they settled all of their claims in both the Sitzer, Burnett, Amor case. And they paid out $83.5 million um, and they agreed to change their practices. Right. We don't have details on what those changes will be yet, yeah. but that's a very interesting statement. Yeah. Seeing how, how much they own, like a couple huge brokerage that, is, that we know, Century 21, Kohler Banker, they're big names. Yeah. They're going to change their practices. We'll see what that means later. Yeah, that's interesting, bro. Mm-hmm. Change their practices. Yeah. And correct their behavior. So, yeah, let's see what that looks like. So now you guys have a, have a good understanding of the chain of events that have happened over the past several years since 2019. Who are the players in the game? And now um, let's talk a little bit about the history of commission. So we know what's at stake, right? If, if you didn't know, it's the commission, right? It's the buyer side commission is really what the issue is. Um, these homeowners feel like it's not fair that they're having to pay buyer agent commission. That's just high level. I'm sure there's a lot more into it than that. But what is the history of commission? I know you've done some some digging on this. Where, where did this all start? How do we get to where we're at now? To understand why all of this is happening, I think we really need to understand how we got here. Yeah. So when you when you look at the early days of real estate, I mean, uh, you know, early 1900s and and before. Obviously, people were just making deals with each other. It, no agents were involved. No big deal. Everyone set their own rates, agreed to their own prices, which sounds great in theory. But when you think about that, without a centralized, you know, of course, back in the early 1900s, there was no internet, no databases. But without a centralized knowledge base for all these pricing, pricing was outrageous. You, one guy could get a great deal, and then his next door neighbor could have gotten robbed. Yeah. And there was no way to regulate that. And that f- sounds great if you're the guy that got the great deal. But if you got robbed and you paid three times what you probably should have, well, yeah. it is it just what is what it was. So as we move forward through the early 1900s, we move into the post-World War II area. And the housing market boomed. And the real estate industry really kind of began to formalize at that point. Around this time, 6% commission rate became a thing. And it started becoming more of an industry standard. Now, why was that? 
So back in that day, we're talking again, post-World War II, we're talking the 50s, the 60s, still no internet, there's no Zillow, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> all of this was done by hand. So what would happen is, is a real estate agent would get a listing and they just, the, this is where open houses come from. They would just sit in the house, they would keep it open until it's sold. So you had one listing at a time and you went and you sat there and you held it open. Mm. And you worked with the, you attracted the buyer, you worked with them, there was no buyer's agents, you just did everything yourself. So it was 6% because you had, uh, you could do a lot fewer listings because you one person, one listing at a time until it sold, then you can move on. And then you could, uh, you know, I'm sure there were some hustlers out there that maybe got a few of the neighbors involved and had two or three at once, but it was very, very uncommon to have more than one listing at a time. And so you got 6% of the sale. Well, this was great and until you move into like the 70s and the 90s. And the commission rate held strong throughout the, you know, throughout the 70s and 90s, but it wasn't without controversy. So late 70s, early 80s, the DOJ, Department of Justice, investigated commission rates for potential price fixing, but didn't find enough evidence to take action. So yes, it was 6% like it has been across the board, but, or however, it, it wasn't like everyone was just setting that price and saying you had to pay that. It's still, it was still negotiable. It's just kind of like this today. It was just the industry standard. Mm. It's what everyone expected. It's what you expected to pay. And there wasn't really many complaints against it at that point because we were still pretty much in the one listing, one agent era. As you move through the 90s and fax machines start becoming a thing and technology really starts playing more of a role, computers start getting involved, you move into the early 2000s. Well, as soon as the internet really takes off, this is where a lot of the controversy comes from. Well, let me take a step back, sorry. In the 70s and 90s, buyer agency starts taking form. And it be, starts becoming more of a thing as the MLSs form and the cooperation policies really start getting in there so that if you bring a buyer, well, now that listing agent does a lot less work because they're not just sitting at the open house all day, every day. And so now you can you split that commission with the buyer's agent. And it makes sense for all parties. The sellers are still paying the same 6%. Buyer's agents are still out there. Now they're showing homes to all the different people and listing agents can now take more and more listings at a time. All of this makes a lot more sense. There's a lot more manual work still happening. Well, all of this really kind of comes in a fire, like I said, in the early 2000s with the advent of the internet, Zillow, online listings and platforms like that because what happens is buyers start finding their own houses. Now agents are still opening the doors and agents are still doing a lot of work behind the scenes. But the perception is that agents are doing a lot less work. And in some ways we are, because now there's a lot more information available publicly, especially in today's day and age, where you have a lot of people saying we make too much money now because the process has become so much easier based on technology. And this is where a lot of the, the, the fuel for this fire comes from, is we've been doing this thing as an industry since the 50s and 60s. And now we're starting to question, well, should we still be charging the same amount, doing the same amount when the perception is that we're doing a lot less work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to debate that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to debate that so bad. I mean, it doesn't make sense to debate it, but I, I mean, I guess I can see, well, I, I can see where they're, where they're coming from with that. I, I don't necessarily agree with it all the time there, are, but it is a case by case, man, because you do have some agents that do. Um, a really bad job. Well, I think the, I think the main point of debate is when you look at the NAR statistics, the average realtor in America makes $54,000 a year. Right. And I don't think any of us would say that person is getting rich. No. 
No, that person's not getting rich. Are there agents that do a ton of deals and make a ton of money? Yeah. They're the 1%. Right. Maybe right. top 10%, but that's, I think, in my opinion, one of the best arguments against this, but um, about the, or that whole complaint, we can get way more into that in the next episode when we start talking a little bit more yeah. back and forth about that. I think it would be really cool to see. I don't know if it's possible to get, but it would be cool to see like the difference in cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. You know, what did it cost back then? You right. know, and what were agents making versus what it costs now? Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, like NAR dues, local MLS right. dues, like marketing, like mm -hmm. it's it's not cheap. You know, it's, it's definitely not cheap. That would, that would be cool to see. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when you think about it, a lot of in a lot of ways back then you may have had one listing at a time. But think about this, agents. If you could make a living with one listing at a time, maybe let's say you take twelve a year but make a good living. How many of us would jump on that? Yeah. And the fact that you have to do 20 or 30 and because your clients can find all these homes, now you're doing maybe 20 or 30 showings. Right. The technology does make some things simpler, but it also makes some things harder. Right. We're expected to work faster, mm -hmm. longer, and yeah. be able to provide more information. And sometimes, you know, it's not as easy as it seems. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that may sound like, oh, you poor agent making all this money, but... <laughs> All of us in the business know that it, it's not always as easy as people think it is on the back end. And we don't do a great job, I think, explaining that. I agree. I, I definitely agree. And nothing back then, like lawsuits weren't like they are now. Right. You know, so, I mean, kind of, I would imagine you kind of just got what you got back then and you didn't have the recourse that you have now, you know, through legal right. system and all that. It just wasn't there. Um, but that's super interesting history of commissions and Man, I hope they don't change, but we may be on the verge. Right. We, we may be on the verge of, of a big a big change. And the two things that are kind of keyed up here is the the participation policy and clear cooperation policy. Right. So I've got some information on the clear cooperation policy. So I'm going to assume but that because this is a National Association of Realtor policy, that this is, extends throughout the whole country. Yes. It's probably right. I'm only going to talk about Texas because I that's what I know for sure. It says here, Section 1.01 in the Clear Cooperation on in the National Association of Realtors Clear Cooperation Policy. It says, within one business day of, the, of marketing a property to the public, the listing broker must submit the listing to the MLS for cooperation with other MLS participants. Public marketing includes, but it's not limited to, flyers displayed in windows, yard signs, digital marketing, on public-facing websites, brokerage website displays, including IDX and BOW, digital communications, marketing, email blasts, multi-brokerage listing sharing networks, and applica applications <laughs> available to the general public. Then it says, note, exclusive listing information for, for required types must be filed and distributed to other MLS participants for cooperation under clear cooperation policy. This policy... This applies to listings filed under Section 1 and listings exempt from distribution under Section 1.3 of the NAR model. MLS rules if it is being publicly marketed and any other situation where this where the listing broker is publicly marketing an exclusive listing that is required to be filed with the service and is not currently available to other MLS participants. And there's some exempt listings and there's more to read there. Um, kind of a mouthful, that second part. But yeah, what do you think, man? So I feel like what this is saying in a nutshell is that the second you start or you have 24 hours one day, but as soon as you start marketing a property at all, it has to go in the MLS. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, when this dropped, it was basically touted as the end of pocket listings. Yeah. 
we still see pocket listings. I'm not going to point names or, or point fingers or name names, but you know, we still see it. Yeah. But obviously this clear cooperation policy says you're not supposed to. Now I, I personally, I see it. There's pros and cons to this. Right. You know, I love data, so I don't want a ton of pocket listings that never see the MLS because I want to know what things sold for. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us do. Yeah. On the other hand, if the seller doesn't want their house in the MLS, they want a sale off market. Why are, who are we to stop them from doing that? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That's, that's actually a really good point. Another point to that, because I'm kind of more on this one on the, on the con side is it has really cut back on our marketing efforts with for sale by owners. Yeah. You know, one thing I love to do is do open houses for for sale by owners and start mm -hmm. building relationships with them, you know, mm -hmm. to convert that into a, a client when their home doesn't sell because it won't. Right. <laughs> At least not for 47% as much as I would, <laughs> according to NAR. <laughs> right. According to NAR. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really love that. You know, I'm kind of handicapped on what we can do now. Mm -hmm. we, that that big part of our marketing and value has been, been taken away, but I do see um, the pros of that. So it sounds like the lawsuit is they want this to go away. Yeah. So that there, this one is under fire, not just from the antitrust as part of those, but this is also what the top agent network, the PLS.com and some other private listing services are really going after because, you know, in order to list a home, you have to be an agent. Yeah. And as soon as you're an agent, you list a home, it has to go in the MLS, mm. but they're mm. trying to build these private listing services that are not tied to the MLS. And it's, it's, that's what they're arguing is anti-competitive there. Gotcha. And that's why these, this thing is really coming under fire and it really has been since they they brought it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anything new, you yeah. know, change always, there's a, you'll always see resistance yeah. with any change. Okay. So what about the participation policy? What is that about? So the participation policy basically says once a listing is in the MLS, a buyer agency commission has to be offered some sort of compensation to a buyer's agent. Got it. Now it can be as little as a dollar. It can be as much as your whole 6% or whatever you're getting. Right. Somewhere in between. Um, there could be bonuses. I mean, whatever. But as soon as it's in the MLS, it has to be, some compensation has to be offered. Yeah. And what this does effectively, and again, why the arguments are being made is we all know that even if we shouldn't, we, or I won't say we, some agents won't show houses that are below a certain threshold of, of commission. Yeah, it's true. I've had agents call me and say, hey, it's only two and a half. Right. We're not going to show it unless right. it's at three. Yeah, and we know some builders that don't offer commission at all. Yeah. Or 1%. 1%. You know? That's why a lot of times they don't even put their stuff in the MLS because they don't, they're not going to offer buyer's agent commission. Right. And we also, that's a big complaint for fair <clears throat> sale by owners. They don't want to offer buyer's agent commission. Right. Or pay the full 6%. So when you combine these two policies, I think that's where we start really seeing some of the inflexibility here. Yeah. So, and I think that's the biggest crux of all of these cases where it really dials down into or boils into is because we can't advertise without putting the MLS and we can't put the MLS without offering buyer's agent commission or compensation of some sort. That's where these sellers I think are having the biggest complaint. Like, Hey, I just want you to market it off market no buyer's agent commission, but if you have a license, that's not really possible if you're following NAR's policies. Yeah. Yep. Lots to be debated on this. So trial starts, right? Yeah. Trial's coming up in October. Mm -hmm. The first one, I believe, is, is starting in October. And that's why this is so important to really wrap your head around, whether you agree with it or not, 
Um, if you think these sellers are just out for, for money or if they think they're really, they have a moral stance and they're, they're on the high ground here, whatever your beliefs are really, um, I would love to hear some of that in the comments, what you think about these cases and maybe some other questions you might have, but really no matter what you think it's happening. It is. And we need to be able to think about this plan for it and react and get ahead of it so that let's say the worst happens and both these cases succeed and these policies go away. Well, what, I mean, is it going to become the wild west yeah. or there's no more buyer's agents? What does buyer agency look like? These are a lot of interesting questions that we're going to talk about in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning that this company, Anywhere Real Estate, they settled, mm -hmm. right? And, and they they promised to make some changes. So, I mean, the the, the next episode may, may already be written. Right. Yeah, we don't know <laughs> what the changes are and we don't know how this trial is going to work mm -hmm. out. So we're going to stay um, stay educated on it, mm -hmm. stay abreast of it and see what's going on. And uh, we urge you guys to do the same. You can you can do so by following our podcast. Mm -hmm. Subscribe, share it, like it, comment below. Let us know what you want to hear. And as Kyle mentioned, uh, we're going to go deeper into the implications of this mm -hmm. and what it could mean for the industry, especially agents that are that are primarily focused on buy side transactions. Yeah. Well, join us next time. This has been uh, Jeremy Smith and Kyle Lindsay for the How to Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to tune in. Same bat place, same bat time. <laughs> we'll see you guys on the next one. And if you haven't uh, subscribed, do it because we, we got uh, seven lies coming out. Yes. Yeah. We're still debating on if we should release that before this one. So you may be listening to this one and it's already released. So go back in the, uh, the library and listen to that. Um, or... You may go back to the library to look and it's not there yet, which means you need to subscribe. I think that you go back and listen to all of them. They're all so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the <laughs> teaser, right? You guys go back, look at the library. But, oh, I'm going to listen to that one. I don't see the seven lies yet, although that one is dropping. It's edited. Um, we just made cuts for it. It's funny, man. I love that. <laughs> I listened to that episode myself. I couldn't stop laughing. So you guys are going to want to listen to that. So we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thank you.